Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to us at Sports Doc Talk. Check us out at sportsdoctalk.com. I'm Will Sanchez, along with Dr. Grant Garcia. We're really excited about today's show because we have a great guest, Dr. Anthony Yee. But before we bring him on, let's bring in our orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, Dr. Garcia. I know you have a lot on your plate right now. You've got moving going on, family, friends, everything else going on. But first and foremost, how are you? And like always, it's great to speak with you. I'm good. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited about this episode. I think, you know, we spend so much time talking about knee, shoulder and elbow stuff that I specialize in. And we've been really waiting to have, you know, a top-notch foot and ankle surgeon on this show talk about the ankle sports stuff because it's so hot right now i mean every article you see about you know we talked about Mahomes with a high ankle sprain and you know, there's other recent athletes that have shown getting back with some crazy surgeries and i know we're going to talk about your favorite topic internal bracing oh baby and i thought what better what better way to have it than the one of the one of the seattle experts dr anthony Yee. so we're really excited about that i'm doing well it's keeping busy but i'm really excited about this show tonight this will be our very first guest for sports talk talk and you can check us out at you know, all the different platforms, and this will be posted hopefully in the next few days uh, so people can hear it and enjoy it. Well, let's get right to it. We have Dr. Anthony Yee. He's with the Orthopedic Specialist of Seattle, and as you mentioned, he is a foot and ankle specialist. And listen, Dr. Yee, first off, we're really happy that you're here. You have all these accolades and all this training and University of Washington and Harvard and USC and all of these experiences and awards, Dr. David, I mean, David Sisk Award for Best Original Research Paper and your Dean's List and all this stuff. But listen, let's get past all of that. What I want to know is if Dr. Garcia and I come over the house because you say that you enjoy cooking, if we're coming over to Dr. Yee's house, what are you making us? It, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here as well. Some of the cooking that I've been into recently, if you've heard of Deb Perlman, she has an awesome little book called Smitten Kitchen. Some fairly simple stuff that can make an average guy like me <laughs> make some pretty really good dishes. So I'd probably have to choose something from there, and we could probably whip something up pretty quick. Sounds good. Dr. Garcia, I know there's a lot to talk about. Why don't you just jump in right here? Well, Dr. Yee, you know, we're really excited to have you. I think one of the biggest things I keep seeing and, you know, I, full disclosure, I work with Dr. Yee. I get to see his amazing results and he's taking care of my family members. So this is a, this is a really special episode for me, but, you know, ankle fractures, you know, we think of ankle fractures. We used to think of them as sort of like, yeah, it's a trauma injury. You know, you lots of motor vehicle accidents or people doing silly things, but high-level athletes get this too. And, you know, we saw it with the Giants and other players when I was over in the New York and some of these wide receivers getting it. We've seen them on football fields. But there's been a lot of press about some of the newer technology with these ankle fractures. And I've seen you do some of this newer stuff that I honestly, and I'm not that old in practice, had never seen before. So will you tell us a little bit about what's going on with ankle fractures and how, what you're doing for these athletes? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, you know, ankle fractures are common and we're seeing them a lot in high-level athletes as well. And, and the key to you know, treating these high-level athletes is, you know, making sure you have a good solid plan for them. You're taking good care of them, but 
also balancing that with a timeline often in terms of getting them back to rehab, getting them back to the field, and sometimes maybe they may have an important playoff game coming up. So oftentimes there's that added pressure of a timeline. And, but of course, making sure that first and foremost, you know, giving them sound care and, and proper rehab. But one of the new tools in our toolbox is sort of a play borrowed out of another playbook that we use elsewhere in the body. And it's a, it's a nail that we use to fix, fix the fibula or one of the bones that make up the ankle joint. And this is not necessarily a new concept. If you look into how we treat, for example, hip fractures or other long bone fractures like femurs or tibias, we often use nails. And some smart people thought, why not let's try that for, for, the, for the ankle? And that has emerged as a newer method of, of, of treating ankle fractures that has been great. In terms of some of the benefits of doing this, oftentimes it means that we're making a much smaller incision instead of making a really big incision to fit a plate and screw along it. Instead, this nail basically goes in through the very end or tip of the fibula bone and goes up the canal or the center of the bone and holds it in place. So one major advantage is, for example, that smaller incision that I mentioned, not worrying as much about things like wound complications or infections, which is always on our mind as surgeons. And then the other major benefit of this is that you can get people starting to weight bear very quickly. It really depends on your comfort level in terms of how fast you want patients to start walking on this. Some patients you can get going right out the gate. Some patients you may want to wait till their wound heals up, which on average can takes you know about two weeks or so before you're comfortable enough to take sutures or stitches out mm-hmm. and let them get going. And this is you know that's a pretty significant difference for for professional athletes or high level athletes that have a timeline, getting them going almost yeah. immediately, if not immediately, with with their rehab. And that's awesome. You know, we and Will's here. You know, I remember. Even, you know, before Dr. Yi came to our practice, I would do a lot of ankle fractures and I always learned. And we used to do a wire with Dr. Dean Lorch and it was kind of crazy. We started doing these things and seeing that they would do it for the fibular heads and fibular fractures. But most of the stuff was plating and people have other issues with, you know, problems in the back of their ankle and bigger incisions. And when I saw, I saw a few of my friends get a fibular nail like a year or two ago and I'd never seen it before. And then I saw Dr. Yi starting to do it and now... You know, I really don't do it anymore because I have Dr. Yee who's so good at it. So I don't, I don't need to worry about that, which is nice, Will, when we have a combined practice and we all do some super specialist work. But, you know, this fibula nail is, is really impressive. Do you have an uh, example of a recent athlete saw something about it? Uh, and it'd be cool to hear that story briefly. Yeah, so there was an NHL player, Alex Killern, that recently had an ankle fracture he was in the midst of the, the playoffs, I believe, and trying to get back as soon as possible. Um, I think ultimately that didn't happen because of because they got eliminated, I believe. But but basically, you know, he was he had a fibula fracture. It was one that may not have necessarily required surgery 
if he was not on a timeline. But in order to stabilize it and to try to get him back onto the ice, he made the decision with his surgeons to go ahead and have a fibulock placed. And he was back practicing pretty quickly. But but again, I think you know, he, he didn't and ultimately get back into the games, but you know, sort of a testament to how much, how fast you can get back at a high level. Well, and you think, you know, I mean, this technology, well, we talked about technology. These professional athletes get treated differently, right? Everything's different with that. Yeah, 100%. You know, and and just to kind of go back to what Alex Kilhorn, I, I remember the player, he played with the 2021 Tampa Lightning. That year, they wind up winning the Stanley Cup, and he got hurt game one. So imagine as a defender, this player is taking a slap shot. And, and you know, any anyone that's a hockey fan, especially the Seattle cracking craze that's happening right now, slap shot is, you know, high 90s, you know, maybe up to 100 miles per hour. And he got in front of this shot and it hit his leg and that's how he broke his leg in two places and as Dr. Yi mentioned he did his best to get back he couldn't get back in time but the beautiful part about it was he was on the ice in skates when they won the Stanley Cup and he was able to hoist that trophy right then and there so he didn't he wasn't able to get back on the ice in time to compete but he was there in time to be there with his teammates and to participate in the trophy ceremony lift up that you know that trophy is about 35 pounds to be on ice skates to do all those things just games after that fracture had happened is incredibly impressive to think about what this fibular nail or this fibulock that they used for this. Dr. Yi, just before we move on, I know they use a radiolucent targeting guide. What does that mean and how does that help you as a surgeon when it comes to, you know, putting this fibular nail into a patient? Yeah, so great question. So what that is, is basically it's a device that attaches to the end of the nail. So as you're inserting the nail, there there are screws that you put in at the very bottom, and this adds sort of rotational control of the nail so that it doesn't spin. And so there's a targeting guide that attaches to it so that you can accurately mm-hmm. insert these screws without, and then that takes the guesswork out of it. And the other thing that I didn't mention about it is that they also have holes or screw holes in the nail towards the bottom that were engineered to be able to put in another device such as a screw or something called a tightrope, which I think we'll probably touch on a little bit later, to address any additional injuries on top of the fibula fracture, such as this a syndesmosis injury or what we talk about as a high ankle sprain. And that can be all done through this this targeting jig or guide that you mentioned. Thank you. Well, Anthony, I wanted that segues right into and we're not going to get too excited with Will here, but Will's gonna have to control himself. But it's time <laughs> I think to talk about some of the intern some of the you know the ligament repairs and the tight ropes and the internal braces. But talk about this in this sort of repair you're talking about, this tightrope fixation because when I started we were you know I started doing some of this stuff early on but obviously not nearly as advanced as you but really avoiding that screws you know we used to put screws across the syndesmosis and they could break 
people had hardware issues. And then we have these sort of invent of this sort of tightrope fixation to tighten it down. Everyone's trying to copy, uh, you know, different technology out there. But now you can have an updated, you can get a fibulock nail where it's minimally invasive. You've got nothing on the outside, really. And then you have this tightrope that can go through the middle, which you've showed me a few of your patients in, in the office. And that doesn't need to be removed. And it's much more, right, it's, it's, it, it, it's more freedom to movement, so it's more natural. Isn't that, isn't that correct? And it's also lower profile. Will you give us a little yeah, information I, on that? Yeah, I agree completely. So in terms of the, you know, the syndesmosis, there's there the series of ligaments that connect the tibia to the fibula together. And that can tear if the energy is high enough or the injury is bad enough at the same time that there's a fibula fracture. And when it's unstable, those are situations where we repair it or fix it. Um, and, and I'll be honest, it, it can be quite controversial amongst surgeons what the best way to fix this is hmm. but i'm i'm you know i'm with you grant dr garcia you know i you know, i tend to lean towards using this device called a tightrope which is um basically if you can imagine two metal buttons and a very very strong suture in between and basically what this is used to do is to cinch down the space between the tibia and the fibula so that they're in the correct alignment and to offer some stability to hold those two bones together in the correct position relative to one another. And what Dr. Garcia mentioned is absolutely correct. You know, there is supposed to be some level of normal or what we call physiologic motion between the two bones in our bodies. So traditionally, we've, we use screws that pass through the tibia, excuse me, through the fibula and into the tibia and to, to hold those two bones in the correct position while, while they heal together. But that does eliminate motion, which we originally have some degree of motion that. So, you know, just from a sort of a conceptual or philosophical standpoint. I, I completely agree with Dr. Garcia. I, I love the idea of putting in what we call flexible fixation with this tightrope that adds enough stability to let things heal correctly, but also at the same time allows for some motion. And I think you know the literature studies also support this in, in showing that we do a better job at getting the alignment of the fibula and the tibia or the syndesmosis when we use the tightrope device. Yeah. And also, there can be less complications with it as well. Much less likely to have to take it out than a screw, for example. Dr. Garcia mentioned screws breaking. That can happen just because another testament to the fact that there is supposed to be some motion in between those two bones. And if that motion gets if is restricted with a screw, then the stress goes through that screw and it can break. So, you know, there's a higher chance of needing to take screws out. So, yeah, that's those are my general thoughts with regards to the tightrope device, which which I heavily lean towards using in my patients. And then for the and for the viewers, this is a device that we use a lot in the ACL. And for a lot of other ligaments that we do, this sort of, it's a self-locking device. So as you pull it, it pulls it up and it locks it in there, but then you can adjust it, which is really nice. So if you fix one side, um, like an ACL, you can tighten the other side and you can titrate things up and we can go over the implants another time on ACL side of things for the tightrope. But nonetheless, this is just another, another great piece of device that sort of was, it's, it's the same technology, but it's another way of using it. 
which is always great, especially, you know, this is another, there's different type of proprietary places that make this, but this device is pretty impressive. So on this topic, obviously high ankle sprains are a huge discussion topic. And we're going to skip a little bit ahead, but I kind of want to keep on with this tightrope syndesmosis uh, so the viewers can understand it. Because the idea of a syndesmosis is confusing to people. And everyone hears high ankle sprains. They hear, listen, that's the one you don't want. You want to have a regular ankle sprain. And for, you know, laymen hearing this, you know, we've heard of, you know, you have a couple of big athletes that have this. Obviously, one didn't have surgery was Mahomes. But, you know, what happens to these patients with high ankle sprains? They're a lot different than a regular ankle sprain, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So you can, you know, think of it as one area of the sprain being a high ankle sprain, another area being a low ankle sprain. You know, a low ankle sprain is that classic twisted ankle. And, you know, and by and large, people don't necessarily need surgery for it. You know, take it easy for a few days up to a few weeks and largely starting to ease back into the swing of things thereafter. And that's that's lower down. So at the tip of the fibula bone, that bump on the outside part of your ankle on the pinky toe side, so that there's a ligament that runs right along that region. And that ligament can get injured or there can be a partial tear, which is, which is the lower ankle sprain. And then the high ankle sprain is more of the injury that I mentioned before. So there's a series of several ligaments that attach between the tibia and the fibula and hold those two bones in the correct position. And this is often due to a pretty violent twisting type injury with the energy sort of traveling all the way up through that space between the tibia and fibula. And there can be a lot of different variations in terms of which which of those ligaments are injured and how severely those ligaments are injured. And so the the key to treating this and determining if a patient might need surgery or not is to determine if it's a stable injury, meaning that there's not abnormal motion, that the relationship between the bones are is, is, is still preserved or is it an unstable injury, meaning is there too much motion going on between those two bones now, and which, which is going to lead to problems in terms of pain, not being able to use that ankle as well as you'd like to be, and also concerns in the long term about developing arthritis or wearing away of the cartilage in the, in, in the long term. And so, you know, some famous athletes, for example, in the NFL, like Tua and, you know, Tony Pollard had recently had unstable high ankle sprains for which they underwent surgery. And and for these, you can use that same device that I mentioned, the, the tightrope, to basically restore the relationship between those two bones and to restore the stability between those and get those get those get that high ankle sprain to, to heal properly. And again, this is a little, uh, you know, it's a better alternative, right, to the old school screws uh, in doing them. And then, you know, sometimes, right, you add, you can add more than one if you really need to, which is nice. You can span it without having to add more screws or other fixations. Is that correct? Absolutely. So oftentimes, you know, again, this can vary from surgeon to surgeon, but in the case of, you know, an isolated high ankle sprain, you know, there's a lot of different variations of injuries that this can happen in, but oftentimes uh, I'm, I'm using two two of these devices to ask to have enough stability between those two bones and to get those 
get it to heal properly. I, I know Will's thinking this, but would you ever consider this in a high-level athlete that's in the playoffs that wants to get back? Or what is the timeline? You know, if someone's on the fence like, Mah- like Mahomes, he pushed through this, right? But let's say you can't push through it. Would you ever consider doing this, like, if, let's say first round of the playoffs, no one am getting ready for the Super Bowl, or is that not realistic? It, it can happen. So... I may. I, I might, no one's gonna. I may no one's be, gonna hold you to. No one's gonna hold yeah. you to this. I'm just curious. <laughs> um, it's it's certainly possible. I think in in that timeline. So I may be wrong about this, but I believe Terrell Owens actually had this injury and came back. He, I think it happened in the playoffs, and he was able to get back for their run. Yeah, that's why he played with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, he played he played in the Super Bowl with that injury with the Philadelphia Eagles. In fact, played really, really well. I have a quick question here. Is this something that this procedure, since you're you're pretty much, you know, putting putting a hole through the fibula to the tibia with that, you know, with this tightrope cord and you're using your sulture and first off, just for the listening audience, a couple questions. One, is this a quick procedure so we'll start there in, in terms of the actual insertion of the tightrope yeah it's actually very quick yeah so basically i use an x-ray machine in the operating room at the same time to make sure that i'm happy with exactly where i'm putting this device and then i i, I drill across yep. using a, a, a appropriate drill bit and then i put the device across and cinch it down it's it's very quick and, and then is this something that you can, do you have to connect to another piece of equipment? Like, let's say if you had a metal piece on the fibula side or something like that, or is this something that you can attach to the fibula, to the tibia at the same time, or does this require another piece of equipment to hold it in place? A great question. You can use this device in isolation. Or you can use it, for example, with through a plate so that button can sit directly on bone. Or, you know, there are <clears throat> different plates that can accommodate that that button as well. So it fits nicely in a hole on the plate as well. So, for example, if you're fixing a fracture with a plate and screws and you, you leave one of those screw holes open to... Yeah be able to put this tightrope through it, you can do that as well. So I'm going to segue you because this is a great talk, but I will not be missing Will's favorite topic here. (laughs) So we are going to, I want to talk to you about something that probably I think that I, I think all of us see this more than anybody. I mean, you all have a friend that sprained their ankle. We've all seen ankle sprains. We talked about high ankle sprains. But the low ankle sprains, I think, are a lot more common. You know, and if, if you if you don't have any friends, if you don't know a single person here, then it's had an ankle sprain. So it's really important for us to learn about this because we see tons of these. But you know, we've we've heard about shows and bristos and other sort of ways to sort of fix this in Brostrom procedures, et cetera. But there's this newer procedure which I love talking about, and I know Will does too, with internal brace, and really. You know, we do a lot. We talked about this in the knee. We talked about this in the elbow. But so how does the internal brace help with instability? And is, how is this a game changer for you in your practice, Anthony, especially with athletes and young kids? And I've sent you some few patients you've done it on. And that was some of my Mercer Island athletes. So tell me a little bit more. 
Yeah, so this is absolutely the game changer. So the internal brace, as you know, is made by a specific company. No, I don't have any affiliation with them, but Arthrex. So they have come up with this awesome device that is made of a very, very heavy suture. And it's basically something that can augment or protect your repair of a ligament so that you can get patients going very quickly. So with the low ankle sprain or just the traditional ankle sprain, vast majority of patients will make a nice full recovery and get back to doing what they need to or want to do. But there is a small percentage of patients that unfortunately develop what we call chronic ankle instability, where they can't trust their ankle. They're constantly twisting and turning their, their ankle I just had a patient last week who, a very young athlete who, unfortunately, even just walking on flat, even surfaces can twist their ankle because their ankle is so so loose from having had so many ankle sprains in the past. So in patients like this, I love using this internal brace because it protects the ligament repair and I can get them going very quickly. So I generally have them start walking at two weeks after surgery and starting PT right away. So and how is that um, different than before? So yeah, traditionally, oftentimes not you know keeping patients off of it for four even six weeks. So yeah. it's a, it's a full month. You know earlier, there was a recent study in Foot and Ankle International that looked at a military population. And looked at these patients with chronic ankle instability using the internal brace, and they found that they could get them back to activity a full month faster. And if you're talking yeah. about an in-season athlete, that's a that's a huge deal. And I think I've heard you do this some of this with scope stuff. I mean, I never seen someone do that before. Tell me about that, and you know, what's the how does that add the benefit of what you can do with these sort of these things, and what other what things are associated with this too? Absolutely. So one of the techniques I learned from one of my mentors, Chris Miller, out in Boston, was doing this procedure that was called the Brostrom procedure, which is a reconstruction of the lateral ligaments that are injured that can lead to this type of chronic instability. Was to do it. Learned how I learned how to do it through the scope. So. Arthroscopy, as you know, is using small cameras through very, very small incisions to look inside an ankle joint. And you can put use small instruments to do all sorts of things, including this procedure through the scope. So oftentimes when someone has ankle instability, they're constantly turning their ankle. There can be a lot of issues in the ankle joint itself. So it's fairly standard to also do an ankle arthroscopy procedure at the same time to make sure that we're not missing anything like a cartilage injury that needs to be treated. And through the same incisions, you can do a, a brostrum procedure or an arthroscopic brostrum procedure. And you know, one of the, you know, really cool things about being able to do it this way is that avoiding a larger incision where you're worrying about the wound not healing. And then it just gives you that much more confidence in getting patients going, going sooner. And, and Will, I'm going to chime in there here. You know, you heard a lot of Anthony or Dr. Yee mentioned a lot of times the word incision. 
So you don't hear me mention that very often, and that's because I do knee, shoulder, and elbow. And those patients tend to have very little wound issues. But but what, what Dr. Yi has to deal with on a daily basis is that when you have foot stuff, it doesn't heal as well. And it's a much higher risk of not healing. So everything they're doing is not only can I get the athlete back faster, can I get my standard recreational app back faster, can I do it more minimally invasive, it's can I make the incisions as small as possible so I have the highest chance of them healing perfectly. Would you agree with that, Dr. Yee? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, the foot and ankle surgeons have somewhat of a disadvantage in terms of the fact that, you know, the foot and ankle is the furthest thing away from the heart. So, you know, blood flow, those are all very real considerations. We need good blood flow to be able to heal wounds, to prevent infection. So definitely, definitely a very, very important thing to consider. Dr. Yuri, is there any determining factors where you say, you know, this individual is maybe too young or there's a certain situation there where you you have to make a determination that at this moment this course of action is not appropriate for this patient is there anything along those lines that you can speak to yeah absolutely that's a great question so in terms of age one of the things that we always keep in mind as orthopedic surgeons is we we have something called skeletal maturity. Each of our bones in the body have a different time at which they start, you know, developing, and when they ossify and when they when they mature. And so we have growth plates at the ends of bones usually. And one consideration is if that growth plate is still open or if it's closed. If it's still open. You know, we generally do not want to try to disturb that growth plate or do a procedure that might injure it because it can prematurely injure it or shut it down, which can cause things like slowing of the growth of that bone or even complete stopping of the growth of that bone, which can lead to you know, discrepancies in the length of different bones or even what we call angular deformities where, hmm. for example, down down by the ankle, there's both the tibia or the shin bone and that side skinny bone, the fibula. And let's say that the fibula bone growth plate got injured and the tibia wasn't, hmm. and the tibia continues growing, you can have this unnatural angle or, or turn to your ankle. So yeah, absolutely. So these are all all considerations in terms of you know. So you, you may want, you may need to alter your technique or consider a different procedure, or just as you mentioned, holding off on a procedure if if in certain situations. Great, great. Well, Doctor Yi, in, in the essence of time, I want to ask you one more thing. I know Will wants to chime in a few more, but what do you see sort of as the sort of future for foot and ankle? I mean, we've already heard about some things you're doing that are really unique to the area. And then, you know, you're bringing arthroscopy in more levels of the foot and ankle in level that I've never seen before, which is awesome. And you're treating arthroscopy with ankle fractures and with, you know, ankle sprains now and other different levels of arthroscopy and minimally invasive procedures. But so what's on the, what do you kind of see as the future? What's the sort of the couple main things you're, that you're looking forward to seeing in the future for our audience and they can hear about it? So I think one of the really exciting things I'm passionate about and things I'm really excited about in terms of foot and ankle surgery is seeing how far we can take this concept of minimally invasive surgery. So far, I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. So 
you know, as you know, the concept of minimally invasive surgery is performing you know, safe, effective surgery through incisions that are as small as possible. So whether that means for you know the ankle fractures we talked about using that the fibular nail through smaller incisions or doing the Boston procedure through the scope or fixing a bunion through tiny incisions that you know just need a single or one or two stitches using a special burr or you know repairing an Achilles through a very small one and a half or to two centimeter incision so that we can really, really try to minimize complications like wound complications or infections, decrease pain and get athletes and our, for all patients for that matter, back on their feet as soon as possible. That's one thing that I'm personally really excited about in terms of the future. And then some, some, another area within foot and ankle that I'm also looking forward to is seeing developments in cartilage restoration. So I briefly mentioned you know, cartilage injuries earlier. You know, we have some techniques in our toolbox that have worked fairly well so far, but I think there are some other techniques. I know Dr. Garcia is, is our you know, expert here in Seattle on, on doing the Macy procedure, and, and that's been very successful around the knee, and that's starting to become a tool in our toolbox for the ankle as well. It has not yet been approved by the FDA specifically for the ankle, but my thoughts are that it probably will in the very near future based on you know studies that I see and then also colleagues that do this a lot. For example, I have a colleague in the, in the Army who they have less restrictions when it comes to you know, getting things approved that are difficult to get approved through you know, private, private or civilian insurance. So, you know, you know, it's one of the other areas that I'm, I'm very looking very much forward to seeing uh, develop. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Yee. This is, I'm looking forward to seeing more of your cartilage stuff. As you know, I do a lot of it for the knee, but there's just less of it approved for the ankle. And so it's good you're pushing the envelope. And I know you're working with Macy team to try to figure out ways to do more of that and other cartilage things. So. Hopefully our patients, well, I know our patients are going to benefit, benefit already from your minimum invasive, impressive techniques. So thank you for joining us. And I'm sure Will has a few more things to add, but this has been fantastic. And I think all the patients in Seattle are happy to have you here. So, and I know I am. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll wrap it up. I know we're going a little bit long. I, I couldn't agree more as far as, you know, hearing a doctor saying that we want to have smaller incisions and less invasive and things like that. So those are all key words that every patient wants to hear, right? Because we want you to have do less to our body, but fix us faster and get us up and going. So these are all key things that people want to hear from our side of the of the table. So that's a great thing. And before I let you go, Dr. Yee, just to remind everybody, Dr. Yee is 
He's the orthopedic surgeon, foot ankle specialist out of orthopedic specialist of Seattle. So please look him up. There's, you can check him out on his website. He has a great LinkedIn page. And I know if I'm having foot and ankle issues, I definitely want to reach out to Dr. Yi. Before we let you go, I know I have a Harvard man on one end and a Penn man on the other. <laughs> so let's just get right to it and just have a little fun here. Dr. Yi, do you know who won the football game this past season between the two of you guys? Oh man, I mean, yeah, not good. Was, this yeah, is not good. I would, I would, I would assume Harvard. I don't know. I would assume Harvard. Harvard won thirty-seven to fourteen, ruin Penn's chances at an Ivy League title at the end of the year. That is my gift to you, Doctor Yi, for spending some time with us. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it, Doctor Garcia. I apologize for that. You know, we'll find a way for you to take a shot at me somewhere else. I'm still waiting for for me to perform an internal brace. Maybe Doctor Yi will let me come in and 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 take care of that. So, uh, once again, Doctor Yi. We really appreciate your time. We appreciate your knowledge on all the subject matters that we talked about today. You have a great night. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun tonight. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Garcia, man, awesome. that, that was a lot of fun. It was great to have Dr. Yi on. What are your last thoughts on the evening as we wrap up our show and just having someone like Dr. Yi on? Well, I'm just excited that we have this platform now that patients can get more of what they ask for. You know, it's more sports, but now we can expand it. You know, we have so much more we're going to be doing with this show. We're getting requests. We're getting people messaging me. I'm hearing from my own patients. that They love hearing the type of topics we're talking about. And again, if you have any patient, if any patients have any requests, anybody has any requests, let us know. We're, I mean, we have a lot of things in store. We have a lot more guests. We're going to have company stuff. We may even get a chance to have some of the Arthrex and other company teams on here to learn more stuff. And I know Will's going to ask a lot of good questions, as he always does. So I'm really excited about it. Subscribe to us. We have another special guest coming up in a few months, a few weeks with some potential NFL ties. So I think it'll be really exciting. And there's a lot more in store. We're not even, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg with this show. So we're really excited. Yeah, it was a great show. I mean, the fact that we were able to talk about the fibular nail and obviously minimally invasive and the targeting guide and the push lock anchors and how that has, you know, resulted on, you know, different athletes and different people. And obviously my favorite internal brace and just kind of speeding up the process and getting you out there and rehabbing four weeks earlier and, you know, and just kind of dealing with all that stuff. We talked about the tightrope and how it's affected high profile athletes and, you know, the, the, the cool kind of part of that from drilling a hole through your fibula to the tibia. And it's great information for us, right? Because we can talk about this, but the patients are the ones that are going to benefit from the new technology, everything that that's kind of happening. So as we wrap it up, my little question to you is, Who has more Ivy League titles when it comes to football? Is it Penn or Harvard, Dr. Garcia? I think it's Penn, actually. Penn used to be really good at football, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm wrong, though. We'll see. Harvard has 17 Ivy League championships. Penn has 18. 18 Ivy League championships. So, see, look. 
Oh, finally got one right. There you go, baby. Okay, so just because you lost this this past winter, don't worry about it. You can still hold hold over Dr. Yee's head, the extra championship. Let's go, Penn. Let's go, Quakers. And once again, remind everybody, check out Dr. Grant Garcia. He's our orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. Check us out at sportsdoctalk.com. Email us, sportsdoctalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can find all that stuff on our website. Just go to sportsdoctalk.com. You'll find all that stuff. Dr. Garcia, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for taking some time to be with us this evening, to lend great information, for bringing Dr. Yee on. I had a great time. Me too. Thanks so much. It's always fun.